0: Hi, and welcome to this episode of ONS Energy Talks. My name is Ingrid-Hannes and I work with communications in ONS. And today, we are really honored to welcome all the way from New Delhi, India, Narendra Taneja. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: The last decades, and especially last uh, last year, has in one way shown us both how, how close we are, but also how far away we are from each other. And we often say that the world has gotten smaller and then you travel all the way from India and to Norway. Then again, from a European perspective, um, the distance to and from Asia from Europe to Asia is very long. I don't know how it is from Asia to Norway or to Europe. Um, in, in mindset, in culture, when it comes to, to what we're going to talk about today, energy, uh, the market, the consumptions and the sellers and buyers and the emissions, um, not to forget that. It's not different in a good or bad way necessarily, just different in what the western eye uh, mostly see, I will suspect. Narendra Tanaya, can you first give us a short version of of who you are and how does this short intro fit into your viewpoint?
1: Well, interesting. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, as you introduced, my name is Narendra Tanaya. I'm based in Delhi and um, uh, my job, my love, my um, passion is all about energy I track energy and I've, which I've done for years now and uh, so I track every aspect of energy so for me I look at energy sector as in 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 a very holistic manner I mean policy um, uh, business uh, geoeconomics geopolitics climate transition, Uh, Security, all aspects of it. And I look at the, you know, uh, I track energy and follow energy on, on a global basis. And I just love it. Because you see, when you look around the world, and you just have to follow the changes and the dynamics of the energy sector. And then you get the best and the most authentic picture of what's going on around the world, whether it's about Africa or it's about Latin America, or it's about the new de- political dynamics in the United States, or Europe post Ukraine, or internal dynamics in Russia, or the emergence of China, India, Vietnam, Indonesia in my part of the world, and I look at through the I, the the the. the The prism I use uh, uh, is energy, and I think it's just wonderful because it gives me such such a crystal clear view of the world. And in the process, it helps me understand, A, the energy sector, the energy landscape, holistically, B, the world, including political and economic, and C, most importantly, humankind. And I just love it.
0: So energy is kind of the thing that the glue that uh, sticks it all together.
1: Oh, wonderfully, wonderfully, because nothing moves without energy Mm -hmm. and it has never, never uh, done so. Mm -hmm. And nothing's going to move without energy in decades and centuries to come. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if you look at very, very carefully and if you use the microscope, you will find behind majority of political conflicts around the world. I'm talking of big conflicts uh, you know, is energy at the bottom of it. Mm. You just have to dig a bit deeper and you find that energy somewhere is playing its role.
0: And definitely the consequences of war has affected the energy situation. It
1: has, and also the, you know, close ties between Russia and China these days. You know, again, energy is probably the, the most powerful glue, mm. which is basically bringing these countries together and closer and closer and closer. Mm. So, therefore, it plays a very, very important
0: role. We hear a lot about the United States and a lot about China, uh, and uh, I, I think a lot of Europeans, uh, maybe embarrassingly so, will admit that we often look too much to ourselves, but uh, India, let us talk a little bit about India and how things look from India. First, how many people live in India now, and how does it look for you coming from there? Uh,
1: uh, We are now home to about 1.36 billion people, uh, and um, a very vibrant country, very vibrant democracy, and you see Indians practically everywhere outside India as well. And uh, we are now the fifth largest economy in the world. We just overtook first France. We just overtook Britain. And in coming next four to five years, we are going to overtake Germany and Japan both. So in next four and five years, India will be the third largest economy in the world after the United States and China. And if you go by uh, projections by uh, very credible names such as PWC, and if you many other think tanks, India by 2050 will be the second largest economy in the world, uh, almost at par with the United States. So China will be number one, and India will be now, India and the United States will be at par. The second largest economy in the world are going to be India and the United States. Asia is now the new gravity center of the world, mm-hmm. and if you look at, for instance, the energy sector, Asia is now the the new gravity global gravity center f- for energy and if you look at what's happening all around the world you just open the newspapers not the newspaper which are very inward looking and many european newspapers are like that but if you really look at the global events today you find that 70 percent of the events good or bad are happening actually in asia mm. and in terms of population also if you look at for instance asia's population is roughly 4.4 billion people Compare that with the people living in the rich north, the so-called global north, 1.4 billion people. That includes Canada, that includes Australia, that includes Japan, that includes the United States and so on and so forth. Mm. Now, the point here is that, you know, but when you come to Europe, Europe is a beautiful part of the world. I love Europe. I love Norway. Mm. And uh, but when you come to this part of the world, you find that, look, I mean, uh, for them, the planet is only about the West and uh and other countries other regions don't matter uh, barring few intellectuals and you know some top businessmen mm-hmm. and all that, and diplomats and all that, but when you talk with the ordinary media people, the ordinary people, uh, you talk with the people in the street, or sometime when you be, talk with the people you meet over gatherings in homes in across Europe, particularly in the Scandinavia and some parts of you know Canada and other, mm-hmm. you get a very different view, yeah. uh, and uh, 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 and you feel a bit bit disappointed because the gravity center is now in asia the world you know the and that is what is the most important region yeah. it was for 1700 years and now is asia is again yeah. back to the status back to the place where it was for 17 1600 years and in coming 10 20 years is going to change the picture there completely
0: i think many europeans uh, embarrassingly as i said uh, would have to admit that that is true that we kind of forget how big this uh, gravity, as you say, is. I think,
1: uh, they do, yeah. I think many of them don't care.
0: That might be true.
1: I mean, yeah. uh, what happens that when you are rich, you enjoy a good life mm. and uh, you're privileged in a way. You have a good health system, good education system. And you think that you are, your, your future of your kids is taken care of. I think you think that's the kind of world you want. Yeah. But you forget one thing. The people who built this world build this world that you enjoy today, the Western part of the world, the leaders who did that, far sighted leaders, some of them great leaders, they struggled very hard. You know, if you look across Europe today, majority of leaders across Europe are those who are kind of they don't have any firsthand experience of what happened during the Second World War or what happened in different wars across Asia or different wars, let's say, across across Africa. So that might be the reason. Yeah. But then books are there. Yeah. And uh, so I think it's important <laughs> to read history.
0: A Very good history lesson to have uh, with us uh, for the further discussion. Before we go. Um, into the concrete and and uh, direct the energy related issues. Let's just talk very briefly on uh, a short fact, the sh- fact part of the podcast, if you may. Uh, you were briefly you touched in on it. How many people? Kind of depends how you would define Asia, but how many people approximately uh, would Asia? comprise of today?
1: Well, if you, I mean, depends, you know, there are many definitions of Asia. I mean, Asia starts from almost Israel and goes right up to uh, to North Korea, South Korea, Japan, and down there, Australia. Uh, so, it's a, it's a, so it depends how you look at it. Some people call it Asia. Some people call it Asia-Pacific. Yeah. Uh, many people have started calling it now Indo-Pacific. and uh, But if you go by the old definition of Asia, I would say roughly 4.4 to 4.6 billion people. Yeah. And uh, uh, some of the brightest people, mm. some of the fastest growing economies. But I think Europe right now, uh, they probably are too busy enjoying great life and uh, high standard of living, mm. and uh, uh, and uh, the way they look at world. But so, I, but I think the greater understanding is required. I think greater communication mm. is important. That you know, for 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 Europe to realize that we live in a very very small planet. Mm. Let me give you an example. You might or might not like some of you may not agree with me, but. Uh, Look, post-Ukraine, what happened in Europe? Before Ukraine happened, in Europe, the biggest kind of discussion, green energy, energy transition, and, uh, you know, climate and so on and so forth. And within 48 hours of Russian, you know, uh, Russians move into Ukraine, Mm -hmm. picture began to change. Mm -hmm. And within 60 days, that's by April, Uh, Last year, Europe was basically busy building energy fortress. Mm. Europe got so worried Mm. about its economic future and it's about energy future and therefore energy security. They forgot about everything. Mm. They just got busy and they said, how can we secure energy for ourselves? For Europe. Then so, some
0: people would say that uh, the energy transi- transition actually have accelerated quite a bit after that. But I, I do agree with the first part of the analysis there. I think that is correct. I've
1: heard this uh, this uh, this claim mm-hmm. that energy transition actually has you know accelerated since the Ukraine crisis, but nobody explained to me how. Mm-hmm. I've heard international energy agency officials saying that, some politicians saying that, but nobody explains how. You see, the point is that this is a narrative, and I don't believe it. I don't buy it. You have to you have to you know these things that how that has happened. By your by by Germany started Germany started importing coal. Germany started thinking in terms of opening uh, you know setting up new power plants or uh, Germany and rich countries buying LNG uh, shipment that were going to poor countries like Bangladesh, buying them on high seas, bring them to Europe and uh, and so on and so forth. Mm. So is that kind of uh, they mean when they say that uh, energy transition process actually accelerated? The fact is no mm. energy transition since Ukraine has suffered massively. We need to accept the reality only then We'll be able to actually solve the situation. We energy transition is something the need of the hour. We need it for our future. We need it for the future of our children. Mm. We need it for the future of this planet. We need to to save our planet. We can't really play politics with it. Mm. The fact is, the energy transition has suffered a serious jolt. Mm. We go to first accept it, be acknowledge it. And then rework on it. Mm-hmm. Energy transition needs to be revisited mm-hmm. and revisited in such a way that which is not based on this. Look, I want to build this narrative because it gives me political points or brownie points. Now, energy transition has suffered. The fact is that energy Europe has tried to build energy fortress. And the fact is they are still in the process of building that. Europe and America have come together. They are building a kind of energy fortress for the rich countries. Mm-hmm. Which is an extremely unfortunate situation. On the one hand, you build an energy fortress for the rich country rich countries, mm. as very often at the cost of the interest of the poor countries and the developing countries. Mm. And then at the same time you say, look, this is helping the energy transition. Mm. Just because you're rich, just because you're global north, just because you you can articulate better, just because you're a better think tank, just because you're better universities, you think you can save whatever and you can get away with it, nobody will question you. The fact is that when we do that, we compromise with the energy future of our country, energy future of our kids. The the fact is energy transition has suffered. Mm. The fact is energy security has suffered. Energy security, when you build energy fortress for Europe, of course, that comes at the cost of energy security for many other countries.
0: (laughs) one of the, the arguments that some uh, Europeans will make is that uh, now there's more focus on uh, renewable sources. It, it's been jolted into action uh, several places. Uh, and we see also in China and India more, there's solar and, and wind power built out in um, rapidly. But let's not forget that the gas or the fossil energy sources that Europe now is not buying from Russia and not buying from the Middle East, that uh, energy is going somewhere. So someone is still using that energy. Uh, Let's dip into a little bit the Asian countries. Where do they get their energy from if you would sum it up in a... My
1: dear, are you suggesting that European is now consuming less oil and gas? That's not true. No,
0: they're still using oil and gas, but they're not using... No, are they
1: consuming less? That's not true. The cars made in Europe, diesel and petrol cars, aeroplanes which run on turbine fuel are being made in Europe and being exported, then you have to factor that in secondly the the uh, germany is buying lng from qatar mm. qatar is in middle east yeah. saudi arabia is selling uh, you know oil to europe are they not yeah. they are and Europe is buying more oil now and gas from the United States. Yep. Now, you see, the point is that, you know, that, so there is no significant change. The point is these are the narratives being built mm-hmm. so that you, to convey a message that, look, we care for energy transition. We care for renewables. Other countries don't. Europeans do the rich countries do that's not true in fact if you go by the cold numbers india has done better yeah. uh, you know on solar uh, than than most rich countries rich countries they promised technology transfer capital to the uh, to the developing countries at the paris what happened there at the paris climate summit did they walk the talk they didn't they refused mm-hmm. the fact is they they backed out so now At the same time, uh, China, uh, look at China. China is a major supplier of equipment for solar power generation to the whole world, including India. Mm. So it's not about, the. you see, if we look at that way, that look, we build energy fortress here. In order to justify, we talk about other things. Mm. We say, look, energy transition. No, that is not true. The Mm. fact is that after oil was sanctioned and after G7 took the call on a price cap, it was between, uh, Ukraine is between Europe, America, and Russia. But the whole world is paying the price. Yeah. Why should we be paying the price for something we are not responsible for? Mm. You see, the point is that, every you know, 4.6 billion people in, in, in Asia, 6.7 billion people in the global south, that's the reference mm-hmm. to the poor countries. Yeah, they are paying the heavy price. They are paying bigger price for the same or oh, you know weaponization of oil and gas than the people in the rich countries look at the cold numbers
0: how would you if you have one message or one um suggestion for a solution or or one way to do something a little better like the, the baby steps that would probably there would be many baby steps here uh, and maybe some big solutions but if you'd had one advice what would that be because we, we do see a lot of development in, in China and India, uh, solar and, and wind. The wind parks and the solar power parks are enormous. We see some kind of transition at least. But, but one advice to the naive Europeans. The naive, no, uh,
1: Europeans are not naive. No. They look after their interest. Yeah. They do it in such a way that they say, all right, we care for the world. But mm-hmm. the fact is they care for their own interests first and foremost. Yeah. And I understand it. there's nothing wrong with it. Look at the history. That's how you know. Just That's how because, we all think. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. That, I mean, why only Europe? I yeah. mean, look at the yeah. history around the world. So I won't really. So no, Europeans are not naive. Europeans are among the smartest, yeah. and um, I admire Europe. Mm-hmm. You know. So but the point is that you know. But what is important is that Europe to kind of, you know, Europe has to 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 think a little bit differently. Europe has to emerge as the lighthouse mm. to the world, especially in the energy sphere. And Europe even, Europe, is capable of doing that. Mm. You see, Europe has to kind of, is fine to lecture, but I think it's, what is important is to participate. Mm. All narratives, narratives with regard to climate change, narratives with regard to climate security, narratives with regard to energy security, energy transition, all these narratives are built in the global north. But they want the world to believe that these are actually have been evolved, narratives made after thorough you know, uh, participation of all countries on the world. There is no truth in it. Yeah. So therefore, what is it? About? We need honest conversations. Mm. We need genuine conversation between the global north and the global south, the rich countries and the poor countries, between Europeans and Americans and the people in Africa, mm. people in Latin America and in Asia. You see, we need genuine, you see, we are a very small planet, a very fragile planet. I think we have played enough of this politics that look, I talk nicely, but I actually protect my interests first, Mm. and very often even at your cost. Mm.
0: So let me try to sum this up. We need to be better at having an honest conversation across continents, across worlds uh, the worlds apart that we sometimes feel we are, especially the rich countries need to actually walk the talk and be honest. Uh, Last but not least, climate and energy cannot be a, a, a politician's game. It has to be about solutions and collaboration. Is that how I read really you right? Well, I would say that, look,
1: first of all, uh, you know, energy and climate are two sides of the same coin. We need to acknowledge it. Yeah. And, the, you know, as recent as 10 years ago, Europeans and Americans, many in Europe and America, they used to acknowledge it. They used to even talk about it. Mm. Then they stopped. The yeah. question is why? Yeah. Because it works for them. It suits their interest. So if, you, if climate for you is just, you know, a matter of convenience, Energy is just a matter of convenience. You build narratives the way you want when it, they suit them, then you change them. Yeah. I think that's enough of that. What we need is basically whether you are rich or you are poor, you're the global north or the global south. We are all inhabitants of the same little, small, beautiful planet. So we need to kind of sit across the table, have more conversation. My worry is, as a, as a as a, as a human being, my worry is that. Very often we meet in these big conferences, but the conferences or the conversations are not honest. They're not genuine. They are like that. Look, I am rich. You got to listen to me. I better think you got to better listen to me. I can draft a treaty better than you. You better listen to me. Or if you don't agree with me, I will cut this off. I will impose sanctions against you. I will not give you this aid. You vote this way and that way in this conference. Otherwise, you'll be punished one way or another. We'll cut off all support mm-hmm. to you. So I think we we need to put an end to all this. It's in two areas, in climate and energy, mm-hmm. because these are crucial. You know, when we force such kind of things, you know, these kind of things, we are actually compromising with our own interests. Mm-hmm. So if we love ourselves, we love our people, we love our children, we love our coming generation and we love our planet, it's important that at least in two areas in climate and energy, we try to be as honest as possible. Go for honest conversation I trust me, once you do that, we'll find a solution. And my final, I want to say that don't think on behalf of every Asian. Don't think on behalf of every African. Just because you're rich, you live in the global north, you can talk better, your English is better, your French is better. You think that you will you also have the right to speak on behalf of every African country, every Asian country and a Latin American country just because you are that? I think it's unfair. Encourage Africa and help them with, you know, cap- capabilities and capacity so that they can build their own narratives on climate, their own narrative on energy. The same with Asia, same with Latin America, the same with the Middle East, same with Central, Central uh, you know, A- A- Asia and other parts of the world. That's the way forward. The way it's being done now is very old-fashioned. It actually creates more problems than solutions.
0: At least you are very honest, and it has been uh, an honor to have uh, you coming in and, and really... Talking straight talk uh, about the Asian point or if you can say the Asian point of view, your point of view from Asia and from India. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, And uh, more definitely more about these issues at ONS next year and also in the following ONS uh, podcasts. before that. Uh, you just listened to ONS Energy Talks, and uh, my name is Inger johannes Stenberg. With me today was Narendra Tanaya, l- uh, talking about the Asian perspective perspective of the energy transition and the global energy markets. Stay tuned for more podcasts from ONS in the months to come, and follow us on LinkedIn for updates and more content. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Veros. Thanks for having me.